Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Average Film Enjoyer podcast. We are joined today by Gunch on video for the first time. We're testing the waters. Um, If you are listening to this and you want to see it with video, you can watch it on YouTube under Average Film Enjoyer. It's the name of the channel. And yeah, uh, we thank you for joining. Um... We thank you for listening in, should I say, and Gunch, we thank you for joining. Uh, this is Film Gunch. Uh, he's on TikTok. Gunch, how about you just promote your stuff, man? Say what you gotta say. I, thank you, um, Jagger and Trey, of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm Gunch. I'm a TikTok critic. I mean, I'm a little small time now, um, but I have... A, a lot of really really cool friends including these two guys who are awesome that i've made on tiktok um and i have a channel on tiktok it's called film gunch we talk about movies we do ratings we do comedy occasionally and um i'm also starting up a gaming channel called gunch's arcade so if you're interested check it out g-u-n-c-h like hunch with a g that's me Sweet. Yeah. Uh, do you wanna call me Mr. G? Whatever is good for you is good enough for me. My chiropractor yeah. said that about his name, and I thought it was funny, even though he's kind of weird. Definitely gives me like American Psycho vibes. Like he's <laughs> telling me about how he ate a whole bucket of sauerkraut while he was like cracking my back, and it was like, oh, <laughs> that's cool. Please don't kill me. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Um, do you want to go through your top four on Letterboxd just so people can get a vibe of, or kind of a vibe of like what kind of movies you like? Okay, sure. I mean, some people have said that I have hot takes. I really don't think that I, I don't think they're that crazy. Um, I've met a lot of people on TikTok who agree with me. So uh, my favorite film of all time is probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, uh, 1974. I absolutely love that film. I think it's totally flawless. I think it's a perfect proto slasher, and I think it went on to inspire a lot of great slashers. I love Agreed. horror stuff. Yes. And I think, like, as far as like, I think horror should be tasteful, even if it is like hyper violent. And I think that that's possible. And I think one of the most interesting things about that movie is that Toby Hooper, the director, was trying to get it to have a G or a PG rating so there's actually That's very wild. little gore and it has a really pretty yeah. color palette um it I does show the color palette i have a from of it like the main color from each scene just like in lines like on a on a canvas um that's up on my wall it's behind my big head here but i could show it later um and then yeah. i also really like the many adventures of winnie the pooh so yeah kind of eclectic tastes sure but I also think that that's like the best Disney movie ever. I mean, granted, Disney's got a lot of problems, but Winnie the Pooh is like the ultimate like free serotonin for me. I think that it's like an Aesopian movie. It's like that movie will just provide the immaculate vibes every time, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I also like the um, election. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you because I just recently watched uh, Christopher Robin. The, uh, it's well, kind of sure. like a legacy sequel, I guess, with Ewan McGregor, and I really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, Winnie the Pooh is wholesome as hell, 
Um, and I was just wondering, what are you, what were your thoughts about that? If you've seen it, I liked it. I liked it. I, I mean, and I mentioned this before we started recording, but the thing with biopics is that they're beholden to like portraying things accurately, and I'm not sure if they always do that. Um, I'm not super sure like what A. A. Milne's life was like actually. I just know that like he created Winnie the Pooh in response to like the war and that's why it became so popular because people needed something wholesome even though he was like a criminal uh like a crime mystery thriller writer um but i mm -hmm. thought that the movie was great and they had a lot of like the og voice actors not the oog from like the my favorite movie the 77 film um but like a yeah. lot of like, voice actors from like the early 2000s the 90s uh, the 80s the show and like the other like spin-off movies which are all great by the way um, but yeah, I thought Christopher Robin was pretty good, and I love you and basically in every yeah, the Duke he's great. But yeah, that was like All the right, well, uh, that was the Winnie the Pooh voice actor, uh, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, Jim Cummings, was awesome. Yeah, and not the Wolf of Snow Hollow guy, he's a different guy with the same name. But yeah, um, and I really like Election, Alexander Payne, Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon. I think that that's a, I definitely feel like that's an underrated movie. Best example of an unreliable narrator ever, in my opinion. I absolutely adore that film. And I think like a lot of people, I think a lot of reasons why people wouldn't like it is because the main character is kind of like a piece of like trash. Are we mm -hmm. we're not swearing on this podcast, right? You could say whatever you want. We I already... mean, we don't say no, but I'll try to, I'll try to keep it clean for you. Um, we already get marked. Yeah, I, we already get marked so. explicit if you talk about a movie with violence or anything. So say whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah great I mean, coincidence was the the first the first episode that got marked explicit was the first episode I was on. Oh, of course. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. <laughs> you dirty bird. I can't even remember what we talked about, but I was like, Oh, okay, cool. We talked about old yeah. boy. That's what we talked about. That was the problem. Oh, yes. Old boy is going to get you every time. Great film, by the way. I love old boy. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, Matthew Broderick's character is a total piece of shit, but I feel like that's a great example of a hateable protagonist. Like the perfect example of it. Because every character is so three-dimensional. I absolutely love that movie. And uh, I know I'm getting a little bit too into these movies, but... Um, Not at all. Fourth and finally, Funeral Parade of Roses. Have you guys ever seen that? I've heard of it. I've I not seen not. it, though. Have you ever seen um, Tetsuo the Iron Man? Yes. Or Eraserhead? I love Eraserhead with my whole heart. Um, I talked about Tetsuo last episode, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I love, I love Tetsuo. I love Eraserhead, too. Um, if you like that sort of, like, raw, underground style of film... Funeral Parade of Roses is a great example of that, and it features a lot of trans characters, and it's from 60s Japan, and it's basically about this, mm. like, trans trans person making a movie, but the movie scenes are so expertly crafted that you think it's part of the movie, and then they pan out, and you hear somebody go cut, and then it, like, pans out, and you find out that it was just a movie scene. So that's, like, a really, really great movie as far as, like, blending the lines, like, blurring the lines between, like, reality and fantasy. And I think sometimes that can be pretentious. But Funeral Parade of Roses, 
highly underrated movie. I loved it. I definitely recommend it. I'll have to it. check that one out. Um, I believe... Right. Oh, I was going to say, I believe I was reading one of your reviews and you had someone had recommended that to you in the comments of a review. Yeah, in the comments of a list. Because I was talking about my Pride Month watches. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, my friend Angie, who I know in real life, who's great, she was like, well, you know, I think we started with Mulholland Drive and... Persona. There was one other, like, bad shit. Oh, it was uh, Persona. Yeah. So, like, Persona, mm -hmm. Ingmar Bergman, and Mulholland Drive, those are, like, absolutely crazy, like, elevated gay films. And she was like, well, now you got to keep the energy going with Funeral Parade of Roses. And I watched it, and it was like, wow, this is, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, and, uh, oh. and I watched it again, and then I watched it again. And it's amazing. Amazing. Now, Gunch, you gave Persona four and a half stars. Did you? Well, I did. Um, I yeah. Yeah. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Trey. Yeah, um... we... <laughs> we reviewed it. I know. It. Ari we it. Oh. We reviewed it last Friday. Um... So this episode will be coming out on Friday the 8th, I believe. So we reviewed it last Friday. Um, and we we both came into the episode giving it a three and a half star rating. Neither of us loving it, right? Like we admire we admired it. We admire like the how how like it's a well-crafted film. Um, but we talked about like we couldn't we just couldn't get into the characters and the character development, which is a really important thing for me personally. And throughout the episode, you'll listen to us keep talking and talking. And by the end of the episode, we both dropped it like four star ratings. Like I think I Jagger has it at a two now and oh, I have it at like, a two and a half. You guys like really don't like it now that you like dissected it. Yeah. I I two and a half isn't a negative rating for me that's like right down the middle like just okay. average um so but jagger jagger gave it a negative review um and yeah is just it, it it was funny because i i've been looking forward to that one for so long and because there's so many of my friends that are like dude you gotta go check this out it's unbelievable and i was like okay sweet five star incoming and i want and i finished it and i was like huh that wasn't for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. It's kind of like... So here's the thing. I mean, not to detract from, like, the movie we're, we're going to talk about, but it's older. I mean, it's not as old as it happened yeah. one night. But it's older. And I think, like, I think just the fact that somebody like... Well, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers, you know, they're good friends in real life. And th that is, like, their, both of their favorite movies. And I definitely recognize, mm -hmm. like, a lot of the callbacks to that movie from, like, Hereditary, Midsummer. I mean, even, like, The Witch in the Lighthouse. Yeah. A lot of, like, those shots. There was one shot in Persona that is, like, a carbon copy shot, uh, shot of, like, that scene in Midsummer where she's, like, looking down, I think. Um, but maybe you guys remember what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, you know, and it's... And it's gay, 
which I mean, to me, that makes it more interesting. I know that's not everybody's, uh, I know it's not the case for everybody. And I think it was good. And I like, like, I don't mind the slow burn, but I think my only problem with it was like at that point, okay, so I had watched Persona and then I had watched Mulholland Drive. And it was like, okay, Ingmar Bergman did Persona and David Lynch did Mulholland Drive. And I love them both. I mean, don't get me wrong, but like, is like having a psychological breakdown actually part of the lesbian experience? Or is that just something that like straight male directors dream up? Because it seems like that's a really common thing. <laughs> and not like, not a common yeah. thing, like anything directed by like, you know, like a queer woman that I've seen. But yeah, you know, I don't yeah. know. And like, just that nature of it, I feel like it was inherently going to be lacking. But you know, back then like film was kind of a boys club for the most part it still kind of is yeah and i that's that brings me to something we talked about not to to like we haven't even gotten in the movie review yet but that we talked about like that kind of stuff uh with the help which we reviewed i think that was one of our first like few and it brings me to that thought of like having a director of a subject matter that they are not like if about a certain group of people that they are not a part of. So like, uh, I think it's Tate Taylor who directed the help. Um, he like, he's a white, yeah, he's a white male. And this, and that's something we talked about is there's like, it's just huge white savior complex throughout that entire film. Um, and it just feels there's parts of it that definitely feel very out of touch which is because it's directed by and written by white people, you know? Um, So I, I that's kind of where my brain went when you were talking about that. And I feel like that happens a lot um, when someone outside of a certain disenfranchised group tries to make a story or film about that group. They just like, they, they're, there's always going to be something that they, that just feels off, you know? They yeah. need to take notes from people who've actually lived that experience. Otherwise, it's exactly. just, it is going to be missing something. I mean, it doesn't matter how good of a movie it is. But yeah, I fully agree yeah. with your take on help. Yeah. I think that that's the same yeah. kind of concept. I mean, granted, it's a different kind of oppression and everything, but same exact mm-hmm. kind of concept. Yeah. I do agree. Yeah. However, I did not see that as much in Mulholland Drive that I did in Persona. Maybe it's because Persona made me, in certain moments, much more uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found Persona to be quite boring. I don't know if that's, again, just me. Uh, you could listen to the episode. We tore it apart. But I will. I mean, it's a slow burn. It's I a understand. Ve- it's it, a very slow it's burn. Very, um, yeah, it's very. And, I mean, I understand completely. Yeah. But and I, I would never be like the kind of person to knock somebody for for like not liking something. I did like it. Yeah. But I also like. I like. I don't mind a slow burn, in yeah. most cases. And I. I hope it's okay that I'm drinking some water or some um, flavored water. That's totally fine. Yeah. Um, and I like a slow burn. I mean, you have your things like No Country for Old Men that are very slow. I'd even say The Exorcist is very slow at the beginning. It is a sure. slow burn. Um, and I have no but problem with this. Those movies go to 100. 
Yeah. They'll, they'll be at like 20 miles per hour, and then all of a sudden it'll just be like, bam, like the craziest shit will happen. And that didn't really happen in something like Persona. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate a good slow burn, like Jagger said, but for me to be engaged the entire time, it needs to be a script that I'm like connecting with in some way. Like I watch Phantom Thread, um, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Daniel Day-Lewis. And that is one of the slowest burns I've ever watched. Like that is a slow movie. It's very dialogue heavy. Nothing terribly exciting happens at any point. But I was like locked in the entire time because I, I cared about these characters and I wanted to know what would happen. I, I felt connected to these characters. And I just didn't feel that with Persona. Um, but that's the last thing I'll say so we can get into our movie review. Um, if you guys have any last thoughts. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Phantom Thread too. And I definitely would agree with what you're saying. And I, I'm sorry to have cut you off earlier, Jagger. Um, what were you What were you saying? Oh, I was saying, though, that I did not love Persona, if you couldn't tell. However, like, but no, I'll give it credit. Like, the acting's great, cinematography's great. But you were saying the uh, the lesbian breakdown concept, right? I found Mulholland Drive to be extraordinary. I have Mulholland Drive at five stars. I love a lot of Lynch's work. I'd say it's probably top three, in my opinion. But I, d- I understand the same like concept but i would say moholland drive did it in a more tasteful way because it had other storylines going it had a few storylines mm-hmm. going and i think that yeah. persona was a very one track movie it gave you yeah. one story and did not it did what it wanted to do and what it wanted to do was not what i wanted it to do and I guess that's where I'm yeah. coming from with that. And I think Mulholland Drive was very, very Lynchian. Um, and I feel like he totally leaned into his style. And loving David Lynch, I loved that. Same with Asteroid City. I love Asteroid City. But that's, like, full throttle Wes Anderson. Um, yeah. yeah. And I do not love Ingmar Bergman. And this is very Bergman. So it didn't connect with me as much and that's my take on it i guess that's that's totally understandable and i mean i love lynch and i think mohan drive is a great movie too i think like if you watch like behind the scenes footage of lynch granted like you know the guy is kind of a notorious like crank and i'm using air quotes when i say the word crank but like if you watch like his behind the scene footage with like his people I mean, he generally looks like he's pretty respectful as a director to me. And I think that that mm-hmm. makes a lot of difference. And I mean, I don't know Lynch personally, but just like really like loving his body of work, he feels more like a director who would take notes from people. Yes. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Ingmar Bergman's like, but I mean, it was an old, it was an old timey movie. Um, you know, directors generally, I think, were pretty. I don't want to say they were all abusive, but uh, I don't know. They they probably weren't like listening to women as much back then, generally speaking. Yeah. And um, but, yeah. 
can I quickly use a segue if we're talking about not listening to women into our movie? It happened one yeah. night. Big <laughs> segue. God. Oh, God. <laughs> what a segue. Yeah. Dude, he sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, for those who are listening, today we are reviewing um, It Happened One Night. I believe, Jagger, is it number 244? Yeah. Um, let me, um, ch- let me check. That's five or two forty four. It's two forty four. Um, um, I also, yep. I also want to uh, send a quick shout out to the people listening on Apple podcasts because you are now in season two of our show. Um, I decided to transition it from before the two fifty series. Now season two is the two fifty series. So sweet. Now I'm able to keep track a lot easier and yes, it is two forty four. I'm looking now. Awesome. Yep, number 244. Uh, it happened one night starring uh, our lead stars are uh, Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Um, don't know if there's any relation to Stephen Colbert, but that'd be interesting. Uh, was released in 1934. Uh, it has a, a 4.1 overall on Letterboxd and a IMDb score of 8.1. Um, so a little synopsis for people who haven't seen this, um, a renegade reporter and a crazy young heiress meet on a bus heading for New York and end up stuck with each other when the bus leaves them behind at one of the stops. Um, so, uh, I'll let you guys talk about what your thoughts are first, um, because I think you, you, you guys both have this at three stars. I have this at four stars for 79 out of 100. Um, so I quite enjoyed this one, but why don't you guys take it away and then I can come in later. Um, yeah, so why don't you guys go ahead. Gunch, before you talk, if, if you don't mind me quickly no interjecting. Uh, so a, yeah, a quick ratings thing you forgot to add. It is a 4.1 average on Letterboxd and a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes as far as critic score goes. A 93 audience score, and I would have to check IMDb. Um, but yeah, I found this film to be kind of, if you will, um, ah man, how do I phrase it? It was sort of discriminatory. I think that's yeah, fair. Characteristically insufferable, I would say. Yeah, and the whole movie focused from pretty much the point of view of Clark Gable following him a lot more than Claudette Colbert and almost at times ignoring her to put more screen time on Clark Gable. Um, By the way, it's an 87 Metacritic uh, Metascore and 8.1 on IMDb. Um, And it seems to be very widely regarded as a great movie exclusively because this is the first real rom-com, right? This is your first big rom-com. Um, and, of course, your, like, critic critics are going to be like, oh, the first of the kind, blah, blah, blah. It's not that good. In comparison to other rom-coms, I could list off quite a few that I find to be... And I'll get into the more worthy, actually, when we get to our questions. Um, I wrote down some notes. That Clark Gable at some times was funny, at other times was, like you said, absolutely insufferable, and made me 
really bothered, I feel like is the word I can use. Um, yeah, they, they, I, I agree. The ending is so predictable. I mean, as soon as... And spoiler alert for a movie from 1934. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, that's your fault. You've had like 110 years to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And as soon as they introduced the walls of Jericho and he started talking about his, like, was it a trombone? Um, a bugle or something? The, <laughs> yeah, the, the trombone boy is going to, like, blow down the walls of Jericho. Yeah. It's a biblical thing. It's a biblical thing. As soon as he said that, you were like, oh, at some point in this movie he's getting uh, trombone, bugle, whatever. And he's taking down the wall, and it's going to be like, whoa, risque ending for 1934. And, I mean, it's the rough draft of the rom-com, and I'd even say very rough draft of the rom-com. And just because it's the rough draft doesn't make it the best. So yeah, Gunch, go for it. That's fair. I mean, all these are really great points. And it is, it is rough, I would say. Uh, there were definitely a lot of moments where it's like, whoa, yikes. I was streaming this on TikTok, um, and there were, like, three people who were watching it the whole time who were like, ah, oh, this is one of my favorite movies. My grandma spoke in a transatlantic accent. I love this. I love Clark Gable. He's so sexy. He's so handsome, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, the majority of other people were like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gunch. I had to leave because I just find old movies like this totally, totally hard to watch. And then, like, you know, some crying emojis. And it's like, I understand, man. There were a lot of parts in this movie, and I was sitting there narrating it the whole time. And I was like, wow, ouch, what? Yikes. Like, and, okay, this movie is Spaceballs. Right, or I should say that Spaceballs is this movie. It's the kind of the same concept, but also like that is like a rom-com cliche. And I mean, granted, when you're looking at older movies, you know that you know the cliches were original at the time. So I could see how like back in the day, this movie wouldn't come off as so rough, but it has been copied so many times. And I mean, like all gender discrimination aside and there is a lot of that in this movie and i think that that's what keeps it from being like a, above an average movie for me is specifically just like that aspect of it which we can get into later but like i i think like i think this movie was the first i did some research on this but this was i believe the first movie to ever include somebody running away at the altar really hmm. so like that's very interesting that's like heavy i mean i can't even count like there are hundreds maybe thousands maybe even millions of movies that do that like that is a really really intense trope and there were a lot of things that like went on to inspire other movies i'm not saying it's a good movie i don't think it is I think like I, I think it's it's inherently a problem. I was reading a few like film scholars like essays on it and like one of them said, Well, for the time Claudette Colbert was breaking down barriers because her character was actually 
really advanced because most of the time a female lead in a movie back then was a lower class woman depending on a man who was rich and this was the inverse of it so it turned it on its head and i don't know if that's necessarily true i mean i feel like there's a lot of other movies from that time period that did that so like that's like the first invalid argument that i found and the second one i mean here's the thing rom-coms aren't like they're not really my go-to and i think that's because a lot of them are kind of sexist but i know that there's a huge audience for it but i mean you look at something like love actually like i kind of hated that movie and i know that that's everybody's favorite but when you actually like look really hard at that movie i feel like i feel like none of the women win in that movie like at all and like these like kind of despicable men just get away with it they just get away with their behaviors there's no punishment no like moral or anything like that um so i don't know i mean do you guys do you guys have thoughts on that i mean i have some more notes that um, i can explain on later but i don't want to talk for you know too long at a time you know no no you're good um i think so for me personally um I I enjoyed this. As I said, I gave it a 79 out of 100, uh, four stars. So that's like that's like pretty good for me. Um, uh, I think I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's really interesting for me at least. Like I tried to put myself um, in the headspace of like I'm sitting in the cinema in 1934 watching this right and uh and then i think about like all the rom-coms that come after and i'm just like wow this really is like the carbon copy for hundreds and hundreds of rom-coms to come after um and that's definitely it, it 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 didn't take away from the experience it actually kind of enhanced it a little bit because it felt like I was viewing like an important piece of cinema history, um, like where a piece of cinema like completely like starts this whole new genre or or kind of kind of like uh, revolutionizes something, uh, like how you watch like The Shining and watch the cinematography in that, and that was the first movie they ever used. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but that shot where they have behind Danny when he's on the uh, big oh, big yeah. wheel. Um, a tracking um or, or yeah a tracking shot yeah yeah really? i think that that oh, sounds right that. i like the shine um movie. that's like one of our favorite movies i think that's in my like top 10 sin jaggers like top five we love the shining um the shining is awesome yeah um so that was that it it didn't really like take away it actually elevated the experience like feeling like i'm witnessing this piece of history like this very important piece and um like i can admit it's not like the best rom-com i've ever seen um especially because as you guys were talking about the gender discrimination and i feel like there's a lot of rom-coms that i personally really enjoy that do that really well uh, one that came to mind when you were talking about like love actually is uh say anything with uh, John Cusack, um, I feel like they do. I feel like that's a really, really well done rom com. Um, but I can mean, totally agree and see where you're coming from. Yeah, and I'm not saying all rom coms do it. I'm just saying like a majority. Yeah, there are absolutely good rom coms 
I think like most of the old John Cusack movies were pretty good, personally. Um, yeah, except for High Fidelity. His character in High Fidelity freaking sucks, dude. The most unbearable character he has ever played. Man, I gotta go back and rewatch that movie because, like, I generally like the only redeeming Jack. part of it is Jack Black. Pathetic dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love Jack Black. Yeah. Um. I'm also, if we're going to talk about rom-com tropes, it did invent a lot of rom-com tropes. However, there's one rom-com trope that I would like to say it didn't have. Um, and that is a female-leading rom-com. Um, and now you have a couple of those. Ten Things I Hate About You comes to mind. And that is a genuine... It's a female-leading rom-com. Um, I think you have things like Sixteen Candles under there. And Sixteen Candles is a generally touchy movie. It has its yeah. big problems. However, it is a female-leading thing. So there are movies where the female does kind of win. Um, La La Land, no one really wins that. In the no, end. no one wins in that movie. That mm. ending is depressing. No one wins in that movie. However, it's not exclusively yeah. the female losing. Um, a lot of movies are like that. But this did follow the female didn't exactly win it. You know? Um, the, 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 I mean, they both kind of won in the end. So she got to marry him. She got to but marry like, him, but like kind of a. I mean, if you think about that in terms of like today, and how much we've learned about intersectionality, and I mean the importance of like dependent uh, independence. Is that winning, or is that in of itself an archaic idea of winning? And I'm, I'm using winning in like air quotes. I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, know. ending up marrying that mustache is not winning, but. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's handsome and everything, but wow, that mustache. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, man, it was the 30s. All the ladies were like, oh, my Lord, Clark Gable. Yeah. Dude, people love him in that movie. Like, I was watching clips on YouTube. Like, it is filled with, like, ladies, and I'd presume ladies, but maybe, you know, younger women, too. Just, like, oh, totally just fawning. Oh, Clark Gable's amazing. They don't make him like this anymore. Closest that anybody's ever going to come to him is Ryan Gosling, Hard Eyes. And it's like, yeah, I think Gosling is better. But, the uh, fact that someone puts Clark Gable in the same tier as Ryan Gosling is an offense. Ryan Gosling is the most gorgeous and perfect man to ever exist on this planet. I agree. I love him. I think he's a great actor, too. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a hardcore take. And I mean, Jagger, like when you were saying earlier, like about how this doesn't follow the the um, the leading actress's story, the leading like woman character's story, I think that that's huge. I think that that's a huge reason this movie comes off. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons this movie comes off the way it is, but yes. I think that's its greatest flaw, hands down. And I mean, there weren't a lot of like even female-led movies from that period. A lot of them did not really follow like they actually weren't three-dimensional 
or at least it doesn't really feel like that. I mean, I know that characterization and plots were a lot simpler back then, but still, like, this movie had, like, very little. It was, like, a scene in the beginning of her and her dad, and that was basically, like, all the exposition for her, and then Clark Gable didn't really get a lot of exposition. It was, like, him in the phone booth, like, arguing with his boss. So, like, right off the bat. And also, like, there's no way he wasn't totally blasted when he filmed that scene. Did you guys, like, did you guys feel that way? Like, when he's in the yeah. phone booth, he's like, now listen here, buddy. And it's like, dude, like, is this guy an alcoholic? No. I just <laughs> well, feel like he was, like, like, on set that day. I mean, he was an alcoholic. I mean, he was put on this movie as punishment. Wait, really? Did you guys know that? Yeah. I didn't know a that. A lot of, like, stuff um, from Paramount, I think was this company, right? Paramount? Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. was kind of, like, it's the same kind of idea as, like, people who were, like, getting punished from uh, Prince of Egypt, and they were put on Shrek. So, like, a lot of people were, like, punished by putting on this movie. And Clark Gable, mm. because of his affair with Joan Rivers... He was loaned from whatever studio he was working for. I can't remember. But he was loaned to work on this movie, and he didn't want to do it at all. And, like, he didn't like uh, Frank Capra. And he showed up, like, totally, like, piss drunk and, like, aggravated and, like, very angry. So, I mean, I wonder if he, I mean, I don't know, man. Yeah. That scene really felt like he was totally blasted out of his ass. Oh, I. See. I mean, there, I think there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of scenes that feel like that, um, that we can point to, um, where it doesn't seem like he's all with it. One scene I did want to talk about that had me cackling. Like I, I had a lot of chuckles throughout this movie, where I was like, "Huh, that's kind of funny," you know. But one scene that had me like audibly like belly laughing was the hitchhiking scene. So not only do you got Clark Gable like speed running yeah, but it's all in the thumb see he... it's all about the thumb yeah that's what ladies don't understand it's about the thumb see like <laughs> it just it wasn't me laughing like with the scene it was me laughing at the scene and how out of touch it felt when she she's like you know what i can get someone pulled over and she flashes her upper thigh and i was just like dying <laughs> holy yeah i know Holy mansplaining, and then that on the end? Wow, man. That was just, like, the cherry on the cake. Apparently, <laughs> like, Audette Colbert didn't want to show her leg. Apparently, she didn't want to show her leg for this movie. Oh, that's so And she 30s. saw the leg double, and she was so grossed out by the leg double that she wanted to show her leg then. I mean, <laughs> wow. Wow. That's not my leg, see? I gotta show my own leg. I can't let somebody look at this horrifying, gross leg. I gotta show my leg, see? <laughs> yeah, I just was, I was laughing very, very hard at that, for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any other points you guys want to touch on. Uh, Don, she said uh, you had a few more notes. Um, I'm, I mean, I've... Yeah, well, sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I was just going to say, I've gone through everything I took notes on. I didn't have too many things to talk about. Um, so, um, 
Sorry, my mom. My mom is up here. Um, mom, hello. say hello. Hey, Trey's oh, mom. So that Gunch says hello. Um, she says hi. Um, she's embarrassed. Uh, I totally but understand. she's super valid. Yeah. No. <laughs> but I don't know if we want to get into our usual questions or what, uh, or if you guys have anything else left you want to you want to touch on before. I have one more I could add. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd like to comment on how bizarre it is that they were sitting on the train with a full band playing flying trapeze in the back. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's a 30s thing, but I imagine if you don't like the music sitting stuck on a train with a full band playing probably very loudly on the back of a train that that's a really obnoxious place to be. Um, yeah. I feel like I see that in a lot of old movies. There's one point, at least one point, in like, if it almost feels like every old movie where they go full vaudevillian and they just like do some sort of a show number or something. And like, part of me is like, well, maybe that happened in the 30s because nobody had phones and people were probably bored to tears. So like, that's how they did like communal things back then. I mean, you know, back when I was younger, like I watched all the like bonus features on all the like DVDs that I had because like I didn't have TikTok or or podcasts or yeah. anything like that. I mean, I'm not that old, but you know. But then like in the 30s, it's like, is that real? Or is that just like something to like, I don't know, lighten the mood, keep engagement? I feel like a lot of movies do that, like even in the 50s, and they never really mean anything to the movie, I feel <laughs> like, or like almost never. Like, except in movies yeah. that are, like, fully vaudevillian, like, you know, Gold Diggers in 1933, or, like, Wizard of Oz, where it's just, like, constantly, like, that style of scene. But, like, there's also that scene in, like, the Vincent Price House of Wax. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. I mean, a lot of mm -mm. people probably didn't. But, like, there's a scene where it's just, like, can-can dancers for, like, <laughs> five minutes. And it's, like, it had... It's a horror movie. But, like, in the middle of it, it's just, like, what what and then there was also a scene where like a dude is like playing with his paddle balls for like five minutes and he's like hey come and see the house of wax and it's like why did we just and then it's like well what's with the you know then it finally went back to the movie say what's with the guy well i don't know i just wanted to get a guy to advertise come on let's go inside and then the story just continues and it's like what yeah. I mean, granted, that movie supposedly was like the first 3D movie, so maybe that had something to do with it. Oh, that's. The... But I know there's other examples. Yeah, imagine Can Can Dancers, and you've never seen 3D before. <laughs> right. Or back then, maybe never even seen Can da uh, Can Can Dancers because there was no such yeah. thing as like video. So you, if you just get in the theater, and that right. scene comes up, and you're just like, "Oh my God, what is happening?" That would hey, be. What's the I... idea? <laughs> God, that'd be crazy. There was. You were talking about the bugle boy at uh, blowing down the walls of Jericho <laughs> or something, and there was that one scene where, like, it's like the the motel owners or something. And the old boy's like, yeah, I was just going to the store for him. You know, they requested some some unusual things. A blanket, a rope, a trombone. 
<laughs> I don't know. They must be into some weird stuff. <laughs> it's like when the old lady's like, well, I don't know about that. Or like something like that. I don't remember exactly how the scene went, but that was like about as close as we got to him actually blowing down, quote unquote, blowing down the wall of Jericho with a bugle or a French horn or whatever yeah. the hell it was. That's the explanation for the people in the 30s that didn't understand the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They, they needed that. They needed that. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is that even back then, and even now, education is kind of a, I mean, it is sort of gatekept. It's a lot better now, obviously, but there is still an inherent sort of, like, um... Lack. There's, like, it's, yeah, it's, like, lack wouldn't be the word I would use, but it's like, in, like, in access, like no access to that. Even people who wanna who wanna be educated sometimes can't, or like can't be to the possible, you know, to the potential that they they would like to be. Um, and obviously, in the '30s, that was really really bad. So maybe they needed it back then. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it was a completely different culture. That's just the one thing to keep in mind with this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Trey, your I questions. To... Yeah, pass the questions. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get into what is the most rewatchable scene for you, fellas? Jagger. I hate to be um, basic and take the answer from you, Trey, but that that hitchhiking scene takes it with me for me with ease. Yeah, that me as well. That I thought that was so funny. I was dying. I thought that that um, scene was was pretty funny. But there is one scene that really, really got it for me personally, cool. and that was the scene where the guy comes up to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I see that this dame is wanted, ten thousand dollars, and uh, you know, if I was you, yes. I would split the money with me, Mister." <laughs> and then like. Gable like pulls him into the forest and he's like, yeah, all right, I got a piece on me, see? And you think we're doing $10,000? Oh no, we're doing a hold up whole hostage situation. One million smackaroons for ya. You think you can handle it? And he's like scaring this dude. And then the guy's like, well, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, I, I, listen, I got a wife and kids. And Clark Gable's like, no, you already know too much, see? You already know too much, so I got half a mind to sock you or maybe even cap you on the back as you walk away. So I want you to turn around and keep walking, and I don't want to see you after I count the town of ten or whatever it was. <laughs> like, there was that whole scene where he just, like, scared that dude. That was awesome. That was really, yeah, really funny. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, for you guys, so we like to do a category, who won the movie. Um, for me personally, I said, uh, Clark Gable, I thought he gave a pretty solid performance, nothing terrible, but I just couldn't find anything else that I was like, this is worthy of an Oscar. I know, Gunch, you, you had said that this movie swept the Oscars in 1934. Um, well, 35 so, technically, because it was the 34 yeah. Oscars. But yeah, this was the first movie to win a, a clean sweep, um, which is Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress. Um, let me see. 
I had this written down. Well, the seventh Academy Award, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Screenplay. It won all all of those, and apparently that's yeah. only been done three times. That one, and I don't remember what the other ones are here. I'll look it up. Um, but, okay, look it up. Uh, John, do you want to give, for in your opinion, who won the movie? Yeah, I mean, like, I think, I think mostly for me. I mean, granted, like Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert were really good, and they both looked great on screen. And I mean, back then, I mean, this was like when movies were transitioning from silent films to talkies. So, like, a big part of it was, you know, you look good, and you can be expressive. So that's the silent film. But then the actors who were able to make it, like, into the talking in those films of sound era also sounded good. So, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that the bar was low, because obviously, like, all the people in this movie are absolutely gorgeous. I mean, there's no question about that. And I think that the writing, <laughs> I mean, we talked about this. The writing is really cliched, but back then it wasn't cliche. But I still think that the writing had a lot of problems. I mean, like, the the whole part where they, like, it's a lot of mansplaining. Like, oh, yeah, it's all about the thumb. You got to do the thumb, you ladies. Or, you know, I'll tell you all about piggybacking or how about, how about how to dunk a donut. Like, it was a lot of him just, like, explaining to her, like, really basic things. And, I mean, maybe back then... But I'm not I'm not going to go ahead and say maybe back then women didn't know how to do those things because that's outrageous. That yeah. is absolutely yeah. outrageous. So I thought the writing was terrible, personally. But I will say that that Frank Capra did a good job directing, and I think that that's because this movie nobody had any faith in it. Nobody had any faith in the screenplay. It like it got rejected a bunch of times. Uh, obviously, like, Clark Gable came to the set all pissed off and drunk because he had his affair with Joan Rivers, so it was a punishment for him to get on it. And Claudette Colburn hated it. I mean, she lived until 96, uh, 1996. I'm not sure how old she was back then. But, like, all the way up until, like, she, like, passed away, she was like, that was the worst picture I've ever made. I don't understand how anybody likes it. I really don't understand how it won awards. Like, she didn't even come to the Oscars. She was leaving to go somewhere else. And then, like, when they found out that she was a winner of the award, apparently she was, like, rushed over to the Oscar ceremony, and she gave her acceptance speech in a travel suit, which, like, you know, back in the 30s, you had to wear, like, travel suits. So, like, I mean, it's the director yeah. for me. It's Frank Capra for me. I think he turned something that was not going to be good. And also, like... That was Paramount's, like, pov you know, Paramount, and this is obviously, like, kind of a shitty term, but back then it was called, like, Poverty Row, the Poverty Row of Movies. Now, granted, I know that that's kind of a shitty term. But he did, like, you know, obviously, like, people didn't think too highly of it. It was lower-budget movies. A lot of them weren't successful. But supposedly this movie did bring Paramount back into the spotlight of, like, you know, a good, and I'm using air quotes again, a good you know, movie-making production house. I don't think that yeah. happened. But it was particularly a great movie, but I think I got to give it to Frank Capra for that reason. Yeah. 
Uh, Jagger, what about you? Alright, um, so Gunch, I am going to unfortunately shoot down everything you have just said, and I am going to say that the person who won this movie was Robert Riskin, the writer. He invented the rom-com. I mean, how, how can you not? Now, um, being that, based off of what you said, uh... Clark Gable was not exactly the best person to work with. So therefore I am docking points on saying him. Um I am going to say Claudette Colbert completely like trying to avoid the movie, although I find that funny. Uh you gotta try and give some hope in what you have done. You have to try and be a little optimistic about it, I'd hope. Um Right. I mean you can't hate on something that you've worked on. Yeah, and, yeah. and after it and does... she got, like, a double salary for that, so she got, like, paid way more than usual. Yeah, and yeah. I doubt that, and I'm, like, just gonna say it, just to kind of show what I mean, I doubt anyone on the Baywatch movie set liked it, but they all promoted it, so yeah. you just kind of yep. have to roll with it, because you did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's work. It's work. Ultimately. And work is yeah. work, so I and mean part of it. Part of your work is like having people watch it if you're, you know, in the movie business. So yeah, it's like I would agree with that. it's like seeing a Hollywood blockbuster movie actor in a Febreze commercial. It's that same thing. Right. They don't want to be there, but they're doing it because it's money, and money back then is a necessity. I mean, 1934 when they film it, likely way before because the editing process is insane in the 30s. You're still finishing off the Great Depression, so these people need yeah. money. They, yeah, you kind of can't shoot down the product. So therefore, I'm going to take them out of my question for the winner. And just because the director, um, Frank Capra, is probably going to end up winning for It's a Wonderful Life, I'm going to hand it over to the writer because he made the rom com a big deal, and I love rom coms, so. It's a Wonderful Life is much better. Yeah. A much better film. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. Um, I would recommend it. And I, I, looked up, I looked up the three movies that have had, that have done that clean sweep that uh, Gunch talked about at the Oscars. So obviously one is It Happened One Night. Um, do you guys want to try to guess what the other two are? They're like... I'm, I don't... They're classics. Okay. Regrettably, I almost felt like maybe I, I hadn't heard of them, but maybe that's not true. If they're classics. Oh, then... no. You have heard of these. These are like, I mean, for me personally, I haven't seen one of these, but it's going to be five stars and the other one is five stars. One of them is Coda, right? No. So the sweep you were talking about winning best actor, uh, best uh, actress, best director, best picture, and best screenplay. So, those five categories, uh, only three have done that. Coda did where they win in every category they were nominated for, but only three have won all the best. Um, so I'm gonna guess the movies that I would, I if I was the person running the Oscars, would give the clean sweep to. Um, so I'm trying to think of movies that have won best picture. Did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest win Best Picture? That's one of them. 
That's a sweet. Is it okay. really? Yes. That's yeah. That's a great yeah. cast, great director. I love Milos Forman, so. Um, that's, yeah, that's and, very fair. Okay, I've definitely heard of and seen that movie. Yeah. Like, a hundred times. I, I love One Flew yeah. the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, so the second one is a 90s movie. A 90s movie. Um, and it's from like genre that doesn't usually get a lot of recognition at award shows. Was it Misery? No. Oh, what was that stupid but movie? Did that... That, win, did that win awards? Did Misery win awards? Yeah, I thought Misery won Best Picture. Maybe Kathy Bates won Best Actress. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. But I, I mean, I do love Misery, but. I'm yeah, to yeah. Think... when you said like it's not something that gets nominated a lot, I just immediately my mind went to horror because I like horror, but it doesn't get enough love in the Oscars. Yeah, um, that's but... that's the genre. I totally agree. Oh, I was thinking of that movie they talked about on Seinfeld. What was it? The English Patient. Oh yeah. No. Oh, that's that's where I was thinking. Is it like that? Is it Atonement? I don't know. No, oh, I know it. Like really. <sighs> Famous what is classic ninety horrors. It's the Silence of the Lambs. It has to be. Exactly. It's the yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Lambs. Ah, uh, yeah. Those are that's both five stars. That's not really a horror that's until a you realize that the dead guy in the ambulance is actually Hannibal Lecter wearing that guy's face. So. Oh. I think that was the richest part of that movie. Yeah. Where he pulls his face off. Yeah, that I was like, "Ooh, that was." <laughs> yeah, that made me jump. Or like the part I really like the part in that movie where like the SWAT team's going to the house. Wait, can it's I? Like intercut, but it's not the same house. And oh yeah, I was so stressed. I was so stressed when I was watching that. I was like, "It's not the right house." Right. Um, all right, does this movie belong in the IMDb Top 250? Wait, really quick, can I quickly mention one thing that I found out just the other day about Silence of the Lambs, and I would like to bring this up because it's awesome? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Um, Trey, by the way, your camera is frozen right now, and I don't know if it's because you have the blur in the background. It's making things lag. Um, okay, I'll yeah. try to fix it. But That's better. Yeah, um, so they... Some guy restored the house that was buffalo bill's house and turned it into a bed and breakfast wow and you can stay there and during the day you can take pictures with the girl that was in the well like you can climb down there and take pictures with the girl who like the put the lotion in the basket they like restored the whole thing and it's exactly like shot for shot how it was in the movie that's pretty cool that's super cool and yeah, you can stay there. It's in, it's in like Philadelphia, and it's Buffalo Bill's house. If you Google it, you can stay there. It's so cool. Um, so what were you saying, Trey? Oh, I was just gonna ask. Uh, does this movie belong in the IMDb Top Two Fifty? Well, you guys talk about this. I'm gonna go grab my computer charger. All right. Um, I'm gonna answer this with a no. Um, I, <laughs> I do not think this belongs on the IMDb Top Two Fifty. Uh, in fact, I would say it's not even close. It's all the way out there as far as what I would say. Um, it has a lot of problems, which movies in the top 250 of all time should not have that many. Um, yeah. and this movie is incredibly flawed. So. 
I would I'd agree. Say no. I don't think it's I don't think it's so amazing just because it it invented things. I think the difference there is a difference between being a part of cinema history and being a good movie. Yeah, and this can stay in cinema history because like I said it made it popularized the rom-com, but it can stay in cinema history and stay away from the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. I think like this is a great example of why like I mean I know IMDb is the networking app right and Mm -hmm. it's like the legacy movie app but I do I do trust Letterboxd more than IMDb and I think that the reason is because like IMDb I feel like there's a lot of cases where like legacy movies get a pass even though they're not that great or they have a lot of like problems that weren't apparent back then but only now that we've learned and you know we've had these conversations about things like intersectionality and feminism like in the age of information that we realize like oh like this has always been an issue and so to prop it up on a pedestal is one of the greatest movies of all time i mean i don't want to use the word irresponsible but that's the only word that comes to mind yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, yeah. I I don't really think... a lot though, so I don't know. I don't really have anything to add. I agree with you guys. Um, now to get to my favorite question that we like to do on this here podcast: Would these two main characters could they beat Jack Torrance in a fight? <laughs> um, and we do not use weapons, correct? Yeah, that's a rule. No weapons. Yeah. Oh, it's like Andre the Giant said, only my fist. <laughs> yep, exactly. Man to man. It's not my fault God made me bigger than you. <laughs> Clark Gable um, is just like Andre the any, Giant. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're the same. It's my favorite line from that movie. He's, he's just like Andre. He's just like Andre. Um, I think, okay, one quick note that I also wanted to add that I thought was really interesting, and it does pertain to this. Apparently, Fritz Frillan, one of the like major producers and like creators of Looney Tunes, mm-hmm. loved this movie. According to his like memoirs, this was like his favorite mm-hmm. movie of all time. The characters inspired Looney Tunes, and I'm sure like you noticed that a constant thing that was happening with Clark Gable's character is he was like talking fast, right, and munching on carrots. He is the inspiration. That is so true. Oh my god. I never realized. Well, I mean, Bugs Bunny beats Bugs Bunny beats Jack (laughs) Torrance. By that logic, he would maybe beat Jack Torrance, but and he's got and he's got Claudette Colbert. And as we know, Claudette Colbert has a magic calf that can stop cars. Yeah. So that is a mistake. It is a truly a limb mightier <laughs> than the thumb, as she said in the movie. It is truly a limb mightier than the thumb. So, do do they beat Jack Torrance? Was the thumb? Wait, I just want to ask. Did you guys think the thumb was a metaphor for something else? Because I did. What do you think it was a metaphor for, Gunch? Yes. Hmm. 
I think it's something we don't really want to talk what about is a, on what this podcast. man have? That a man, you see, it's all about the thumb. You got to just <laughs> stick it out there. I don't know. Maybe I got a dirty mind, but that's it. And then when she was like, well, there's a limb mightier than the thumb, see? And it was like, mm, this definitely feels like innuendo to me. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it's yeah. right. I'm just saying how I read it. Yeah. And it's very, very possible. All right. So no on the Jack Torrance. I think that's I'm that's where I'm at least. Yeah. I'm going to say no. No. Because, like, Jack Torrance was bested by Shelley Duvall in the movie in the end. And I think, like... That's due to weather. One. Yeah. yeah. I don't what, know. That's what. I think Jack Torrance does beat them, right? That's what we're saying. Yeah, he had a mouth full of Oreo or a stomach full of Oreos though, and peanut butter. That's all he ate when he was locked in the, the soup pantry or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yeah, that's no. Hey, I mean, I think he's way scarier than Clark Gable was in that scene. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I would say no, but I totally respect that take. And yeah. I think it's possible. Yeah. Oh, are we all agreeing that Jack Torrance wins? A hundred percent. Yeah. I would say he wouldn't win. Yeah. Wow. Take the first time on this podcast that Jack Torrance gets beat. Oh, no, that's not true. What? Okay, Iron Giant was a draw. That doesn't Dude. count. No, 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 no. A draw? Iron Giant would totally... I'm sorry, I haven't listened to that episode. Dude. Iron Giant doesn't... Here's, here's Jagger's logic. <laughs> Iron Giant, all Could. of his weapons... All of his weapons are, are are based on defense, and the 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 uh, the the sight of weapons, and the fact that we can't use weapons in this means that he won't go after Jack Torrance, and Jack Torrance will be so intimidated by a hundred foot foot tall steel robot that he won't do anything either. So by that logic, it's a draw. Wait, we, um, didn't we didn't have the bit yet? So let's rewind really quick. Gunch, you're going to sit here with us while we kind of rewind. We started this bit on Life of Brian. Dances with wolves, as far as your main character goes, he has the entire army. They'd beat Jack Torrance. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And so, uh, since we started this bit, no one has beaten him. Since we started this bit, no one has beaten him. Since and Aladdin, I mean, you're trying to tell me he would not... I mean, we get that he has his three wishes. You're trying to tell me that the Aladdin, uh, that not the Aladdin, God, the genie who we proved can shapeshift in like the very, like the first like 15, 20 minutes of this movie would not absolutely destroy Jack Torrance. So Aladdin gets oh, the genie? Totally yeah, that's I mean, that's, that's not a weapon. That's not a weapon. That's not a the weapon. not a weapon. He's a main character. Mm. And if we're doing... His body's a weapon. He's like the Iron Giant. He's like the Iron Giant, but he would not shy away from getting absolutely vicious. And, like, and the whole yeah. idea of the Iron Giant is that he's a gun. I mean, like, you guys talked about, like, why Brad Bird wrote that, right? Yeah. Because, like, because of his sister. Like, and then, oh, like, oh, like the whole idea is, like, do you guys, you guys, did you guys talk about that? No. No. I didn't like, know anything about his talking? sister. Okay. We need I to research more, Trey. We need to research more. 
I'm just showing I, us. I'm up. sorry. I'm such a I'm such a dork about trivia. No, no. The Iron no, Giant's a movie to be. The Iron Giant is one of the movies that you should totally be nerdy about. The Iron Giant is a masterpiece. <laughs> I agree. I think that movie's flawless. But the reason Brad Bird made that movie is because his sister actually was a victim of gun violence. So his whole pitch for that movie was... Uh, like, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. The whole pitch for that movie was, what if a gun didn't want to kill... What if a gun was sentient and a gun didn't want to kill people? There you have it, the Iron Giant. That is that adds so many layers, and that is why that movie is in my top four of all time. And I, oh, I love that. Add, I might and, have to put that in my top four. I love that movie, dude. And, Honestly, it, I love that movie. Trey, we talked about Brad Bird being the goat, but does this just add another G to the beginning? Like the greatest, greatest of all time. Like he is the goat. Yeah, we we talked goat. about him being the greatest animated director working because he made both Incredibles movies, which first one is almost flawless for me. Second one, it's it's not as good as the first one, but it's, but it's still very, very good. And Ratatouille is unbelievable. Ratatouille is amazing. So, I think, yeah. I think Ratatouille is I think Ratatouille is better than the Incredibles one, but I love the Incredibles one. I say... But his all-time greatest is Iron Giant, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, Iron Giant is his best movie, hands down. And that just booted his greatest of all time status to truly greatest of all time, because that adds so many layers to the Iron Giant that even if they weren't... Cycle, by the way. The what? Sorry about the cars and stuff outside of my window. Oh, you're all good. Could you, could you oh, don't even worry about it. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, that's that's insane. That that just adds so much to that movie. God. Um, but yeah, Trey, do you think it's time we get into our segment, our next segment of the? Yeah. Play? So today, I'm very excited. I I think there's going to be some good fuck conversation coming out of this today. So since we. Today, we are each going to take what we think is one of our hottest takes. Just one. Oh, just one? And we're going to go through... Oh, I could have done, like, top do five. One. I think top five hot takes would be great. Oh, What's our runtime at, Jagger? Do you know? I don't think runtime affects it. I think that this is great. Um, well, I got to... This oh. is running longer than I thought, which I love. This is great. But I got family dinner because it's my birthday tomorrow. Um, Happy birthday. But Happy birthday, Trey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so if we, why don't we just do one each? Does that work for you guys? Yeah, that works. I just got to think of my best one, though. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Well, I have my best one. I have my hottest um, one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and kick it off. Alright. Uh so my hottest take is the Spider Man trilogy. So not the new one, not Tom Holland, but the uh the um Original uh, Raimi. Sam Raimi, the Raimi trilogy. So I know people hold these movies very highly, I as comic book movies. Um and I'm just using this as as my one hot take. 
I know people like, especially Spider-Man 2, I know people hold that as like one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. Here are my ratings for... So I have uh, Spider-Man 1 at three stars uh, for 56 out of 100. Um, I have Spider-Man 2 at two and a half stars uh, at 49 out of 100. And then I have Spider-Man 3 at one star for 24 out of 100. Um, I just think I you were gonna say the characters are... is five star. I was my palms were sweating. It was like, oh my gosh! No, Spider-Man Three <laughs> is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, I, it's pretty bad. I don't know. It's so yeah. campy. I kind of like it. <laughs> I do. No, bad. and I get it. I wouldn't rate it that low, but I mean, I understand it is bad. But yeah, it's really campy. I mean, I appreciate it. I'd have that. At, I don't I have mean, it logged, but for me, that's a three and a half. I and don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love I love Raimi's campiness. Like on our first episode or one of the first episodes uh, on that I was on. Jagger, yeah, you guys are huge Raimi fans. Yeah, I would, yeah. We I talked. Think about you guys how are much more Raimi fans than me. Yeah, I. Yeah, we talked about how much. Yeah, yeah. yeah we love the Evil Dead trilogy. Um, and I'm like, that's one of my favorite trilogies of all time. Um, I think they're uh fucking hilarious i think they're so funny and um i don't know what it is about these but it's the campiness just doesn't work for me in these ones and i think uh kristen dunst uh is as mary jane is one of the most unbearable characters in cinema she is the absolute worst person in this trilogy and i cannot stand her I, I love Kristen every Dunst time she's on screen. I want to reach through and slap her. It's oh just like, God. oh my lord. Well, I think her character one is a great movie. I would rate that at a. I would rate that at four point five out of five. I might even have it on Letterboxd as a five. Two, yeah, it's all right. Three, I mean, it's bad, but good bad. Like the I room, that's yeah. Bad, bad take, I think it's valid. I think it's kind of oh, in that well, same I got... vein as. Um, like the Tommy Wiseau movies, that they're so bad that they're good. Right. Or Neil Breen. See, I got the opposite reaction from those because I'm in a big film Discord uh, for another podcast I listen to. Uh, and we have like a bot in there that will, every time someone logs a movie that the bot follows, it'll just throw it up in a chat. So everybody's reviews automatically get put in this chat. And I just got ripped apart for my Spider-Man reviews. Like, Trey, what are you doing? This is an illness take. Spider-Man 3 at one star. And when now whenever I say something, that's like a people will be like, a W, but you do have Spider-Man 3 at one star. And I just got like ripped apart for that. I People are really, really hardcore about their fandoms. I don't even yeah. want to talk about Star Wars because... I'm, like, actually afraid. I'm afraid of what people will say. Star Wars fans are the worst. They're so annoying. I love Star Wars, but God, some people just get so mad about it. Like, I'm not going to say that they're the worst, but, like, oh, God, just relax. It's just a movie. ASMR time. (laughs) All right. 
I am going to quickly talk about Star Wars because I'm going to make you a little less scared. Um, I like the Star Wars movies. Um, as someone who has a younger brother, he was ecstatic. Like, the most excited person in the world to go to Disney, as every little kid is. Um, as a lot of people are. Yeah, kids and adults, even. Yeah. Upon... Disney's great. I love Disney World. I mean, Disney's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Upon entering the Star Wars area, there was a group, like, a full group of, like, 40-year-old men trampling someone in a, like, stormtrooper suit with their, like, cameras taking selfies with the person in the oh, suit. And they were, like, talking to it as if it was a real, like, in the, I don't know, as if they thought it was a real, like, stormtrooper. And they were like, what was it like meeting Han Solo? Oh, I God, threw I up in my mouth from the mere sight of it. And... I hate so it's the one. <laughs> I'm not that Wars. bad. I definitely, I definitely like geeked out when I got to meet Ant Man. Like I was like, <laughs> oh my god, it's Ant Man! But like, I'm not like, how is it working with the Avengers, sir? You know, I'm not yeah. that weird. <laughs> right. I mean, these are people. You know, like I yeah. don't understand why people just can't fathom that they're they're people they're not characters they're people i mean like even with yeah. like you know the last jedi and i don't want to talk about what i think of the last jedi because that's a really really hot like scary hot topic but people were uh, getting majorly bullied don't say my review trade don't no i'm not <laughs> gonna say this don't even i think because i think i know where you're going I, I, if I know what your thoughts are about it, I am in agreement. I like The Last Jedi. I think that is a great Star Wars movie. I like The Last Jedi. It's so fun. I had such a good time with it. It's good. I, it's the only one that actually, like, tries to do something different. And that's why Star Wars, this, the, pre, or the, the original Star Wars were so good. Because they actually did something different. Yes, thank you. Yes, I'm with you on that. So if people want to come after Gunch, they can come after me too, because Trey's I enjoyed it as well. Trey's the man. So is Jagger. I I really do yep. like the Last Jedi. I think that it's great fun. Maybe not maybe not as much as you, Gunch, but it's definitely good. I don't think it's the best Star Wars movie. All right, that's totally The Empire Strikes Back. But anyways, yeah, one hundred percent, totally Empire um, Strikes Jagger. Back. Jagger. Yeah. All right, my hot, my hot take. Um, God, I could have gone a lot. With this. I could have gone a lot of ways with this one, but in my opinion, Step Brothers sucks to the high heavens. Oh, it is. Nice. <laughs> it, it is nice. so nauseatingly unfunny. And I like Step Brothers. It tries to do the embarrassing comedy, like kind of that Borat style of comedy. It doesn't do that. Will Ferrell is not funny. 
Elf sucks. It's the worst Christmas movie. So are you like are you not a fan of Will Ferrell in particular? I really don't like I, Will Ferrell. I, I really, really don't like Will Ferrell. I love John C. Riley. I thought he wasn't funny in it. I thought the script was really not good. I thought it had about two moments that made me chuckle. That's it. It was a very flatline comedy. What was that moment that made you chuckle though? Their music it- video. I think it's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. Yeah, it's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. I mean, like, I understand. I understand, like, not liking Will Ferrell. John C. Riley is amazing. I definitely like him more than Will Ferrell, and I like Will Ferrell. Yeah, but then you have he like does. He's one of those actors that just brings an energy always. He brings his energy. Yeah, but and John C. And... Riley was so much better mm-hmm. in like Boogie Nights. That it puts this movie to shame. It's a it's a different type of role. I know it's like, a different type of role, but when you put on that kind of display of a role that you can do that kind of good acting, and then you do Step Brothers, that dude has range. Yeah, I, I think he he's really funny. Is. I, I totally think he's, agree. I think he totally is gripping. I think he can be scary. He can be sad. I mean, John C. Riley is like, I wouldn't. I mean, I would say he's maybe one of the best working actors right now honestly yeah i agree but here's my thing it's really hard because comedy is the hardest to find a hot take with because comedy is probably in my opinion the genre that where it's most it like all movies are just what you like but comedy is the most polarizing like you either find it funny or you don't and if you don't find it funny the movie sucks but if you find it funny, like for me, like Step Brothers is a five star. I think Step Brothers is one of the funniest movies ever made. Um, I, 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 it's right up there with Hot Rod and Wayne's World for me. Those are like well, my top I, three. I, okay. I think Wayne's World is. Hot Rod really is severely underrated. That movie is so funny. Wayne's World I is so valid. Wayne's World I have on Steelbook. Wayne's World is a five star comedy for me. But. Oh, yeah love these world and it's pretty good very very good but Step Brothers is a one star comedy in my opinion and I find it to be so bad like what do you think about Hot Rod what do I think about Hot Rod I don't know that I have seen Hot Rod oh my gosh you need to get on that that movie is so funny oh it's Andy Samberg because like Adam McKay, yeah, like, Hot Rod is, like, Lonely Island, right? That's, like, yeah. that, that. Like, I think all of them are in it. And yeah. it's Bill Hader. They're either in it or right on it. Right. It's, like, that group of comedy people. And I love them. And, like, Adam McKay and, like, Willem Fer- uh, Will, Will Ferrell, um, I mean, they're their own kind of brand. And I think that they're kind of hit or miss for me. I mean, there are movies that I really like. Like, I like The Anchorman. I think Step Brothers is pretty great. I wouldn't put it at five stars, though. But I think that that's a valid take. I think there's a lot right, of people who agree with both of you guys. I already yeah. gave mine. I'm just kidding. I'll give another one. I think that Shutter Island... Wait, what was yours? Oh, what was yours? <laughs> well, I already was saying, like, The Last Jedi was good. But yeah. here it is for real. Shutter Island is a bad movie. Right. See, and that we were talking about that before this episode, 
I think there's a lot of people that hold this movie insanely high. Um, I think there's, I see a lot of TikToks, like, here are the top three movies from these directors. And they'll get to Scorsese and they're like, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island. And I'm like, that is, two of those movies are illness takes. And I think Shutter Island is definitely one of his weaker pieces of art. Um, But, and it's like, I will agree with you. It's, if you don't get, if you don't predict the ending after like the first half hour, you have not been paying attention. If you pay attention, that is the most predictable ending in the history of cinema. Um, But I do think, I, I do think I like it because I had a good time with it. Even though I saw what was coming, I was interested in how they were going to get there and the different twists and turns they were going to take. Um, and that's kind of like what engaged me. But I, I do, I can see how people can think that's a bad film because again, it's not great. There's nothing inspiring about it. Nobody gives an amazing performance. Um, and I mean, all the actors in that movie have given like, what? But Mark Ruffalo is pretty great, but I even think Leo DiCaprio wasn't so great in that movie. Even Mark Ruffalo has given better performances than that, in my opinion. Totally. Um, um so i totally agree with you there uh but i do i think i have it at like a three and a half or a four but i i don't have it rated as highly as like some people who have it at like a five star yeah i mean i just i find it bad Uh and i think like one of the biggest reasons is because like martin scorsese has set the bar so high for himself so yeah there's just a lot of technical glaring flaws in that movie for me and I know I can be a little nitpicky with movies sometimes, but man, that's my fat take. Jagger. Yeah. On that same note, I would also like to say that when it comes to those top three Scorsese movies, I love Taxi Driver. I think Taxi Driver totally deserves to be in that top three. Upon rewatch, mm-hmm. The Wolf of Wall Street is like a three-star movie. Yeah, I didn't think it was as good as uh, as it was when I first watched it when i first watched it i was kind of like enamored by it because it's like three hours it's very entertaining keeping your attention for three hours and making it feel like two ba 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 it's not that good <laughs> i feel like i rate i rated it at four i have yet to change my rating but it kind of like at some point makes you kind of groan it's kind of like eh. yeah i think i think an underrated of his is kate fear I just watched that recently for the first time with Nick Nolte and uh, De Niro. And in that one, we get to see we get to see uh, De Niro as like this psychotic evil villain, which we don't see from him very often. And he was unbelievable. Yeah. And again, oh, and again, in that same vein, um, the analyze this, analyze that movies, having De Niro be like kind of the emotional guy. I love those movies. They're so great. Um, yeah. And Billy Crystal is very funny. So, yeah. I think... Even though people say he's not, I think he is. And even though he's not the nicest person ever, we understand that. He's yeah. pretty mean. So is Chevy Chase, but, I mean, not laughing at community is a task. The National yeah, Lampoon's I movies. Mean, there's a lot of other yeah. characters in community and a lot of other funny yeah. And also the Lampoon movies are good. But yeah, Chevy Chase. He's Chevy funny. Chase but, but I, he funny. 
he's very mean, but very funny. Well, yeah, I think that just about wraps it up, and that's a 90-minute runtime. That's insane. Oh, my gosh. I, thank if, you, guys. Thank you for bearing... Um, well, I mean, it, you know, I hope I hope you enjoyed yourselves. I certainly enjoyed it. No, yeah, we... I had a great We time. loved having you on. Yeah, you sparked some great conversation. That is twice the length of our, <laughs> our usual average episode. run time. That's a twice the length of our longest episode. So it'll be interesting dropping this one out. Um, yeah, we loved having you on. Again, you can follow socials. I am Trey, the film noob. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Trey Arzy. He is Jagger Movie Reviews on TikTok. Uh, Jagger Pot Pie on Letterboxd. And then Gunch, you want to do a little self-promotion before we finish up? Yeah, go for yes. it. Yes. Uh, film Gunch on TikTok. Uh, Gunch's Arcade for Gaming. And film gunch on Letterboxd. I thank you guys so much. Thank you, seriously. This was a blast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for Absolutely. coming on. It was so I'm great. Excited to listen. Oh, and thank you. Dude, would you be okay coming back? Like it was great having you on. You gotta come back sometime. I would love to have you back. guys. Oh my gosh. I would be so honored. Singular honor. Thank you. Seriously. That means a ton. Yeah. We loved it. We, that was that was the best time I've had on that episode. That was that was a good time. That was it's fun great. having new people and new perspectives on here. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Yeah, I like these guys are amazing. So anybody listening, seriously, like amazing up and coming movie creators, and they need to start going live like ASAP. So go follow on TikTok because I I finally got live. And, like, it's not a big deal to some people, but it just means a lot to me. And I would love to have them, I would love to go on their lives and, like, we could talk about movies there, too. So, thank yeah. you for listening. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to figure that out. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you, maybe some of you, for watching, even. And, yeah, yeah. It, it was great having you on, Gunch. Um, and, yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and... Follow us. Leave us a rating, a review on Spotify, whatever. Also, yeah, if if you're now, listening on like Sp- and subscribe on YouTube. <laughs> like and subscribe. Yeah, go. YouTube. You can say that now. And comment. And comment, comment. down low oh, yeah. who you think had the hottest take out and of the three of us. No, no, no. Trey, we are going to be starting a segment as soon as you guys start commenting. Commenting if you are answering our Q and A's. Um, that we the Q and A that we have available on Spotify. We're going to be answering audience questions as a new bit. Oh, so yeah, let's... we're going to try and add some interactivity. If you have any questions, if you have a movie you want us to talk about, then just throw it down in the comments. Throw it down on your Q&A thing that's currently right below this on our Spotify. Then, yeah, please, interactivity. We'll try and set up, if you're listening on, like, Apple Podcasts or whatever, we'll try and set up another way. But as of right now, comment. That's really easy. All right, and yeah, thank you all so much for tuning in. That is officially 90 Minutes Crossed, and goodbye.